Thank you for tuning into the Perfectly Imperfect podcast, the podcast all about the things we go through in life and ways to get through it. I'm your host, Dominique, and I'm so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, I will bring you a topic or a guest that will have you take a look into yourself or brush up on what's going on in the world, give you some motivation to start the week, and send you into the world ready to conquer whatever comes your way. Let's get this episode started. Are you ready? So I got some listener feedback, and I would like to share this with everybody. It says, I enjoyed your podcast until I started following you. I'm guessing this person means like on Instagram. Featuring just black businesses is discriminatory to those who aren't black. Why don't you feature all businesses and all is in all caps? You should want to use your platform to be all exclusive, especially during the times the world is in. Have some consideration for all of us. By only featuring black businesses, you are taking potential money away from those business owners who aren't black. SMH, very disappointing. This person texts this in. I'm not going to reveal their phone number, but they did not say who they were. So obviously they're a coward in my eyes. Um, But, you know, I'm going to respond. I'm going to call her Karen because I feel like this is something a Karen would do. Karen, very Karen-y. Anyways, I do not owe you or anybody else an explanation for what I do on my platform. Yes, I am going to feature black businesses because you know what? We don't get the representation like everybody else does. So if I have the chance to represent, then yes, I'm going to feature a black business any day. You want to talk about money being taken out of people's hands? (sighs) Let's not go there because there's a whole history of that. All right. So if you don't like it, please, by all means, don't follow. Don't listen. I don't need that type of audience on my platform. I am a black woman. I am going to talk about things relating to the black culture because I, too, think that that needs a light. Maybe your ass should sit down and listen and learn something instead of assuming or trying to tell me what I should do with my platform. I don't like that's the most Karen, how dare you have the audacity to think that you can tell me how I should conduct my platform. That is not your right. And that is not your space. I am so tired of people telling black people how we should feel or react or what we should do with our lives. You are in no place to say that that is the most disrespectful and rude thing you can say. Just because it doesn't happen in your world, just because you want to deny history or not see it or not talk about it because it makes you uncomfortable does not mean you have the right to tell me, a black woman, how I should use my platform because you're offended, because you don't feel included. Too bad. During these times, you should want everyone to thrive. Maybe you need a hobby, Karen. Maybe you should start a business. I mean... Obviously, you got time in your hands to tell people what they need it to do. Some people have the nerve. I I just, some people just don't think before they speak. That's really dangerous for some people. For everyone, actually. 
You need to think things through before you say things. I'm sure whoever this person is is listening and they probably still think that they're justified. That's the thing. A lot of people who say these things, it, they just have no logic. I don't I don't understand what it is. And let's not put it on, oh, we're in a pandemic and we're locked down excuse. No, 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 no. Because I'm pretty sure Karen has been like this before all of this happened. This is just making it worse. But anyways, that's enough attention that Karen's going to get from me. I'll let y'all let her know. Why don't y'all let her know how you feel? I'll post it up. You guys can have your comments too. But next up, we're going to have a black business section. That's it for this week's Should I Think About. On this week's black business highlight, I am featuring Follow Me Catering Company, located here in Seattle, Washington. The owner's name is Sarah. And we recently had her um, cater one of our family events for Mother's Day. Don't worry, y'all. We were safe. Um, and she made us, I want to say like a shrimp fettuccine. We had this broccoli that was, oh my God, it was delicious. We had a salad and we had garlic bread and then the kids, she made chicken strips and fries for the kids. She had everything there. We needed condiments or dressing dips. Um, she also does Sunday dinners and which is a great time now you can pre-order them. You can follow her on Facebook at Follow Me Catering Company. Um, she also has a website, www.followmecateringco.com. So go on there, check her out. I definitely would recommend her. So again, that's on Facebook, Follow Me Catering Co. And you can also go to her website, www.followmecateringco.com. You can also message her straight from Facebook, and she also has a a way to reach her. I do know that if you order Sunday dinners, delivery may be possible, so definitely hit her up, look at her page. I mean, my mouth is just watering looking at these pictures. So yeah, definitely check her out, book her for your next event, or if you don't feel like cooking one night, hit her up. everybody i am here with a childhood friend of mine who is now a doctor miss dr sean irving uh and we're going to talk about mental health for mental health awareness month so hey sean how are you hey girl thanks for having me i'm doing well just adjusting to this new normal yeah no i'm always interested to see like what this will look like once everything is back to normal like how will things be different you know, mm-hmm. I don't think normal is going to exist. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I think that everybody's just still going to be scared and skeptical and a little more cautious, which might be a good thing. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, tell us about yourself and what made motivated you to work in your field. Okay. Well, I am Shalon Irvin, a clinical psychologist from Seattle, but went to school outside of the state. Psychology caught my attention because I've always been intrigued by how the mind works and how patterns persist in life. And it's just been something I did even before I knew I wanted to go into psychology. Then I started taking classes in college and it resonated with 
what I believe, so I kept it up, and that's how I got here. Awesome. That is so how many years of schooling did you have to do? Oh, Jesus. Um, nine. So I Ooh. did my bachelor, and then I did my master's and doctorate collectively for five more. Oh, okay. So you kind of knocked two birds out with one stone. I like that. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, so how long have you been practicing? Post-graduation, six years. But while I was in grad school, I was working as a psychometrist and doing testing. So I guess that's 11 years. Oh, so you had to do clinical hours like any other medical profession. Yes, we did clinical hours, and I worked on the side to collect some coins so I could pay for everything. <laughs> but we did have to do some clinical hours. Um, I did practicums, and then I had to do a formal internship where I did the whole match process similar to medical school and moved to West Virginia because that's where I matched. Oh, nice. All right, so since we're talking about mental health awareness, um, what are some early signs that there is an imbalance and can it be detected early? It definitely can be detected early, um, but sometimes why it's not detected early, sometimes our environment are what's dysfunctional. So when you're in a dysfunctional environment, that seems normal. But what is normal is not always healthy for you. So that's why I think a lot of mental illness goes undetected because the environment is unhealthy. But any changes, like some of the basics are like changes in mood, mood shifts, changes in sleep is a great indicator whether you're sleeping too much or not sleeping enough. Um, mood, like I said, shifts and like appetite, all of those things. So anytime that you feel like you're not moving in your norm, it's something to look at. Okay, okay. Um, so does DNA, ethnicity, or culture determine your mental health? If it does, how much of an impact does it have on you? More studies are showing that there is a connection with DNA, ethnicity, and culture. I'll start with the DNA. Um, there's a study of epigenetics, and that's a study of your genes. And what they're finding out is certain things can be passed down through your genes, so certain stressors. Like one study they did with mice where they had group A and group B, and group A could go into the cherry near the cherry blossoms and be fine, but group B, and these were pregnant mice, I, just, I think that's okay. important to add. Group B, every time they went near the cherry blossoms, they got shocked. So what happened after was group A, their offspring went to the cherry blossoms just fine. Group B's offspring, even though they weren't shocked on the outside, they were afraid of the cherry blossoms. <laughs> So it shows that fear and other things can be passed through your genes, and they're doing more studies to find that. They've done some studies with Holocaust as well as 9-11 to show that the cortisol, which is a stress hormone, can be transferred and the offspring have higher levels of stress. Hmm. And then what about and ethnicity and culture? Ethnicity and culture are important because diagnosis is a man-made term, and it's just a cluster of symptoms that helps the provider come up with a treatment plan and treat things. So culture plays a big part because lots of the diagnoses are framed for the majority, which is generally not people of color. So mm -hmm. sometimes what is culturally normal and acceptable seems as a disorder in a culture that is not meant for the people who live in it. 
And that also applies with ethnicity. That's very interesting. I mean, that makes sense, though, because you're a product of your environment. And most likely we grow up, you know, our parents and things like that. That is all we know. So that doesn't make sense. Um, why do you think people are, un- are unwilling to get help? Um, for instance, I had a roommate one, uh, a few years back, and he ended up coming to find out had bipolar schizophrenia, but he was in denial in a sense. And then also, too, his, his, or his family didn't really force him to get help. So why do you think people are unwilling to get help? Well, for one, it's the stigma. There's a big stigma around mental health, and a lot of people think that something's wrong with them or that they're crazy in the problem when oftentimes it's not them. It's what they've experienced or what's happened to them or what's going on inside of their body. So many people feel a lot of shame about seeking services and seeking help just because mental health doesn't have a good reputation for most. They view it as, oh, you're crazy, something's wrong with you. And also, second point is sometimes people who are experiencing mental illness, they're enjoying it. (laughs) It's Mm. the people around them who are impacted. Like I've worked with individuals who did have bipolar disorder, and the mania, they got so much accomplished. Like they were able to be focused, but it impacted those around them, so the medication kind of doled out their personality, so they didn't want to seek help because they loved the mania part. I do have another question about that. Does, like, um, recreational drugs, is that something that somebody with mental illness should take? Because um, I recreational. Yeah, so, like, my, for example, the old roommate I had, he would do a a form of marijuana called dabbing, and Mm -hmm. that kind of triggered he had an outbreak or a break or mental break and it kind of triggered that. Well, well, that's what the doctor would say. And then I, from before they were telling him that he shouldn't do that because that's what triggers his mental um, breakdown. But is that the same for everybody who has mental illness or is it just case by case? It's definitely case by case because everybody's body chemistry is going to be different and it would also be hard to say, especially with recreational drugs, they're not all created equally. So mm-hmm. sometimes there's something in there that there is laced, which causes a psychotic break, or it can be a substance-induced mental health disorder. But for some people, they say that the marijuana actually helps them with their anxiety or whatever they may use. Mm-hmm. But, okay. Yeah, I've heard studies about... Um... I've been seeing studies lately about PTSD in marijuana, which is very, like, big advocates for it. So, Yes, there's lots of studies coming out about that, pros and the cons. Nice. Um, Why do you think the black community is impacted so much by mental illness, illness, and do you think it plays a part of our history? Absolutely, to part two. I'll go into a little depth in that, but the black community – if you think historically about how we were treated, and then even if you think about um, the distrust of the medical system and, like, going back to the Tuskegee experiment and things of that nature, there's not a trust of the medical system, so there's not going to be a trust in seeking help and feeling like you're going to be heard. Also, the black culture traditionally has found their healing in the church. So many people think that their faith is all they need and they do not seek the help. And just the Mm -hmm. stigma of going to seek help. And also there's not a lot of black people 
who are therapists who look like them. So sometimes it can be hard for them to go because they have to explain their culture and then explain what's going on, and that can be exhausting. Yeah, that is so true. I have a therapist, and he's a white guy. And at first I was really apprehensive to opening up to him because he didn't look like me. So I'm like, he's not going to understand what I'm going through or <laughs> things that I experience. And come to find out, he understood quite a deal. Like he, he understood everything I was saying, even if it was something that didn't make sense to him. But he listened to my logic about it, and it made sense to him. But yeah, that's and very that, true. Yeah. It, there's um, not enough rep- black representation in medical field at all let alone you know psychology so yeah exactly and you had a second part to that like about our history um Mm -hmm. dr joy has come up with a term called post-traumatic slave syndrome and it describes a set of behaviors and beliefs um, that are related to multi-generation generational trauma experienced by blacks and it may be inclusive, but it's not limited to undiagnosed and untreated PTSD. So it's kind of like the survival strategy strategies that have been passed down because of our troubled history here in America. Ooh, that's interesting. I'm going to have to research that a little bit more. I've never heard that term. So I she has a book on it. It's it. great. So anybody who wants to read it, Post Traumatic Stress Syndrome by Dr. Joy or Slave Syndrome. Sorry, yes, by Dr. Joy DeGruy. Okay, I'm going to look that up. So um, what I've been noticing a lot just in the news and on social media is that um, during this pandemic, a lot of children, especially like preteens and teens, have been committing suicide. Um, So why do you think that is during this pandemic? And what are some ways that we can coach our children in becoming resilient in stressful or uncertain situations? This pandemic is bringing up a lot of pre-existing conditions that were already there, and it's bringing a lot of isolation with the social distancing piece. So things that were normal to any of us, but especially not normal. School has been taken away. They're limited to seeing their friends, all of those things. So isolation breeds a lot of mental health disorders, specifically depression, which is commonly linked with suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts. So I think that is why you may be seeing the numbers increase is this is exacerbating a lot of what was already there. And if it wasn't there, it's creating it for some. So what I would say with children is their emotional regulation isn't as high as some adults because not all adults have it either. So when they're feeling emotions, they don't always have a safe space to process it, to place it, and to make sense of it. So holding all that in, it can create more depressive So should parents check in with their kids a little more than normal, like just ask how they're doing or things like that? Absolutely. Kind of. And then looking at their acting out behaviors, if that's present, if they have less, since they're going through and feeling everything we're feeling, except they have less control than we do, and we have very limited and they don't know what it is or, and their security's been taken away. So they're feeling it just as deeply as us, except they don't have an outlet. Yeah. So I think checking in, um, picking up on their patterns, giving them a safe, safe space to feel and not being as irritable, giving them more grace and having some patience, which may be hard to find because everybody's stressed. Right. No, for, honestly, everybody is. It's like, like you said, it's, not normal for us to be confined, so. Right. <laughs> um, so 
So how can we help those with mental illness without hurting them? Because, you know, like like we said, a lot of them aren't willing to get help or they're in denial. So how can we help those people more so than somebody who is willing to get help? Understanding is the key because most people, there's a lack of trust or there's a feeling that I'm different. So if you can normalize what's going on and be a support instead of a judge, I think that will bring an openness of trust. And when trust is there, people are more willing to get help. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so like you said earlier, the, somebody who is has mental illness, they might feel normal, but it affects the outside, like the environment around them and the people around them. So mm-hmm. how can family members cope with this, with mental illness or somebody who has mental breakdowns or, like you said, takes it out on them and, and they feel fine? How do family members cope with that? Because, you know, it's a traumatic experience for them as well. Absolutely. There's a big caregiver burden when you are working or living with someone who has mental illness. So family also needs to check their limits of what they can manage because when you are working outside of your boundaries, that's when your patience gets real low. So trying your best to encourage them, but also recognizing that you are not the treater. It can be hard to be a family member and a doctor at the same time. So letting them know how they do impact your life and setting up those boundaries while trying to support them at the same time. So just like this is what I see, but this is how it's impacting me. This is what I can offer you, but this part is something you need to work on. Here are the resources. Right, yeah, keeping your limits so that not both of you are going crazy at the same time. Yes. (laughs) All right, so this is a big topic, um, and I had a lot of people who wanted me to ask you this question. What's your opinion on using prescription drugs to treat mental illness? Oh, okay. Well, I am not a prescriber, but I do have thoughts on it. I just want to throw that out there. Um, There are a lot of prescription drugs get a bad rep when all they're really doing is regulating, helping the body regulate the neurotransmitters. Because that's how we feel. That's how you feel happy. That's how you feel sad. That's how you feel whatever you feel is the neurotransmitters and the receptors. Prescription drugs help regulate that to some degree. They're not perfect because everybody's body is different. So I'm not opposed to them, but I don't think they are for everybody. And the reason being is a lot of times people view prescription drugs as the magic pill. Mm -hmm. But that's not what they are. Your body will eventually adjust, and they may or may not work. That's why people often have to switch their prescriptions. For certain disorders, the medication is there to help you cope and get to baseline so that you can dig up what's really underneath the problem. So sometimes why I'm against prescription drugs for some is they use them as a magic pill and they never get to the root of the problem. If you don't Mm. get to the root of the problem, all that is going to do is create more problems for you. So I do agree that they can help, but they work best when combined with therapy. Okay. And then, so we talked about marijuana as like an alternative. What are some other alternative drugs that people use or things that people use to treat mental illness? And you just said therapy, but is that the only two or is there other ways that people treat them without drugs or companies? Balance in your lifestyle. Exercise really does help. 
Um, it can get your endorphins going. It can balance you out and make you feel better because it does the same thing. It works on the neurotransmitters. Diet is very important because often what we see is a mental imbalance can come from some of the things that we do eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with everything being genetically modified and fake chemicals yes. and things put in it that does affect. And that's true. When I go running, I feel so much better. Like, I feel like I can conquer the day when I go running because it's like the stress that I'm going to feel for the day, I've already let it out. If that makes sense. Yes. So I definitely it's important, understand. but then you don't have the motivation sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm tired. I'm I'm tired. Just, but then it also <laughs> helps me with, like, especially, you know, with the kids and when they start getting crazy, like, gives me more patience with them. So mm-hmm. I definitely can tell the difference between when I run and when I don't run or I don't get exercise. Um, That's so important. <laughs> right. How do you keep your mental health in check while working in the field? Because I'm sure it's, it's a, I mean, some people take their work home. So how do you keep your mental health in check? Well, over the years, I've learned to create boundaries and shut off from work. Um, I have done a lot of trauma work and when I did the trauma work with veterans, it almost was like a parallel process as they healing, so was I with them. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the techniques that I use are about picking up on patterns. So sometimes I'll pick up on the pattern and not absorb all the emotions and help them pick up on their patterns. But also I think therapy's for everybody. So I have my own therapist that I go see because y'all have stress in life and we need a safe space. Right. Is that a requirement? Is every therapist, every psychologist, do they, are they required to have a therapist themselves? They are not, but I believe in practicing what I preach. So if I'm saying everybody else needs to go, I'm no different. Right. So what are some tips that you can give people who are having a difficult time mentally during the pandemic? You said exercise. Are there any other great, like quick stress relievers, things like that? Giving yourself grace, your productivity is not going to be the same as if we were not in a pandemic. We are all in survival mode right now, which takes a lot more energy. So you're not going to be as focused and you're not going to have that A1 concentration all the time. And you have to give yourself the grace to say, and that's okay. So not putting additional pressure on yourself. Um, Finding the good parts of it. I know a lot of people are losing people. And there's trauma in this as well, acknowledging that it is traumatic, acknowledging that we're not getting the closure we need. And it's okay to feel. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to grieve things that you may be missing out on. Not putting that judgment on yourself, I think, is a key factor. And also taking breaks. Because many of us are sheltered in place, we think that we have to be available all the time if the phone rings. I'll look at my phone and watch it ring sometimes because I'm in my space and I need that, and it's okay. Yeah, I do that. In, I do that anytime. I'm like, <laughs> I'm okay, I don't, I don't want to deal with that right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. And then also, I too think that um, a lot of people feel the pressure to be more productive during this time. So I do feel like that impacts a lot too because you're like, oh, my friend's out here doing this, that, and the third. She's getting things accomplished, but I'm just not doing anything. So I yeah, think that kinda... we're comparing okay. ourselves to other people's masks. We don't know what's really going on behind them. And the social media is not the truth. So, so put down we social media get caught people. Up. 
<laughs> don't send all the right. on social media. Don't do it. Don't do it. Cut the news off. <laughs> no, I do that. I, uh, I've started um, putting my phone down. A certain time at night, my phone goes off. And then mm-hmm. I put on do not disturb just so I won't get, get into that hole of being on social media and jumping between Facebook and Instagram and things like that. You know, if I'm not posting for my podcast or whatever, I I try not to be on there as much. So I think that's a real important thing, too, because a lot of the social media outlets are giving us bad news about COVID. And I think that stresses people out even more because now they're like super panicked because they don't know what's going on and they're getting all this crazy information that might not be true. Some of it may be true. So that's why I definitely try to stay away from that. Right. Sticking information is not always healthy. (laughs) No, not at all. So, so how can listeners connect with you? I do have a business Facebook page, which is Renewal of the Mind Psychological Services. I have my website, drshalon.com. And I also have Instagram. I'm new to Instagram, Renewal of the Mind. It's my Instagram tag, at Renewal of the Mind trying to get into the social media because that's where people are, but hey, I have to follow the times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, free, it's free marketing too, so you can't go wrong with yeah. that. All right, Shalon, well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. I have learned some very interesting things, so um, I definitely would love to speak with you again, especially on um, the post-traumatic slavery disorder. I would, We need to dive into that on another episode soon. I'm going to read the book. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you have a good day. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. um, And yeah, have a wonderful day. You as well. All righty. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Perfectly Imperfect podcast. Don't forget to tune in each Monday for a fresh new episode. You can listen to this episode and catch up on what you've missed on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Soundtrap, and YouTube. Please take the time to like, share this with a friend who you think needs to hear this, leave a comment, and don't forget to follow. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, call or text 206-712-1430. All of your questions, reviews, thoughts, or topics you like to hear about. You can also follow my personal account on Instagram at perfectly underscore imperfect underscore host because I love to connect with my listeners personally as well. Go into the world with light and love and remember that being perfectly imperfect is something to celebrate. Talk to you soon. Bye.